You're listening to The Spirit Hunters. It's a podcast. Anyways, if you want to check out our now public and free Discord or support the show at patreon.com slash spirithunterpod or just check us out on your podcatcher of choice. episode 31 of the spirit hunters this is sarah hannah and joe and last time we watched as knuckle made some very knuckle-headed decisions that were both right and wrong we also saw yuppie become avatar anger um, while pito tried to keep the peace between gone and poof this week it's a bunch of standoffs and stand talks between marrow and netro poof pito versus gone and also Welfin versus Akago. You better get ready. So I got a question. In the M Night Shyamalan version of Hunter Hunter, would it be Avatar Unger? <laughs> it would be Yeah, it would. It'd be played by uh who would be <laughs> The Rock. <laughs> no, no, The Rock's not nearly white enough for this. Um <laughs> oh shoot. I I had someone in my maybe like John Stewart. <laughs> No. Christopher Walken. I don't know. <laughs> like, yeah, why not? <laughs> oh, <laughs> poof! You gotta. Anyways, <laughs> all right. So we're uh, gonna discuss episode one hundred twenty-two, or in English, pose and name. In Japanese, tate mai to namai. Anyways, it was released in Japan on March 26, 2014. The equivalent manga chapters are 287 through 290, um, which were released in Japan on November 17, 2008. Uh, So I'm going to be reading some notes that uh, Megan has gifted us in her absence. But uh, the reason I bring that up is because um, this part, I'm going to have to sing, and you guys aren't going to like this. But it it goes, never-ending story. Anyways, Meruem and (laughs) Netero ride the Dragon of Light to a test site (laughs) for military weapons, making it so they can go all out. Netero has dry earwax. Uh, (laughs) Meruem states that, I, I forget, is dry earwax or wet earwax more common amongst Asian people? dry that's what i figured okay it's just like we have confirmed isaac netero is asian (laughs) (laughs) so do not try whitewashing this hollywood (laughs) meruem states that he's changed not all humans are worthless bottom feeding scum just most he specifically names komugi and netero netero don't play that pick me shit his power up (laughs) is graceful and palm up (laughs) meanwhile yo speaking of palm up I, on Twitter, I recently, there's a account that shows the Hunter Hunter Mobage like card game cards. Mm-hmm. And there is one that is way too horny for Palm. It is like a Halloween Palm skin where she is dressed as a spooky nurse. Oh. And I'm like, oh, this is definitely <laughs> someone's someone's jam. But uh, yeah, literal, literal creep Palm. Anyways. Anyways. <laughs> Meanwhile, Gon and Pitu and Poof are in a standoff. Pito explains everything to Poof and is honest and makes sure to include facts Gon isn't aware of. The one thing she, uh, the one thing they leave out is how the king held Komugi. He, uh, he's got it down bad, and, you know, uh, Pito just can't explain this verbally. It's, it's just beyond their capability. Uh, Gon tried not to give uh, a fuck, but kind of did. Uh, Pito sent a message with their wording indicating that the king went south. Poof sent his chibi bugs out to search. <laughs> I mean, it's like, I it is tough. Like, how can you describe that? Yeah, you know, our overlord master is now a simp for <laughs> someone who is a little cute, snotty girl who likes to play their version of chess or whatever or right. go. <laughs> Especially since I don't know if any if the other royal guards had noticed it that Poop did not have any positive does not have any positive feelings towards Komugi. 
Okay, I, I'm going to say, like, how about we each try to summarize in the shortest amount of words a good way that Pito could have explained this to Poof. I'll go first with, he's got gamer GF. Yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. Um, like, let's see. Miramum is just keeping it real, and we need to support him, so... <laughs> I don't know. Um, the king's heart went doki doki, and I'm trying not to keep everyone from like going pokey pokey and killing each other. So <laughs> stay cool, man. <laughs> Listeners, uh, you know, go onto our Discord, send in your votes for which of these you think is the most accurate summary. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Merum continues to question why he and Netero need to fight. He mentions the disparity between the classes of human beings. Merum wants to eliminate inequality and provide for all humanity, the ones that survive. Merum states that true power is meant to protect the weak, the ones who, quote-unquote, deserve, uh, deserve it, specifically thinking of Kamugi. The king doesn't want to fight. He wants to talk. Netero reflects how Merum is wavering between ant and human and how the two sides are totally incompatible. It's hard to say if this is really true for Mikalgo to the chameleon. They lean more human, but would it be totally incompatible? I don't know. <laughs> but um, as the current climate, I don't know. <laughs> it would take a lot of work. So <laughs> we'll, we'll definitely talk about this once we get past the summary. I, I have some thoughts. but <laughs> uh, So we cut back to the shady bigwigs contacting Netero, telling them to exterminate. Uh, but the Hunter Association... Will- be the ones to take the blame. You know, good shit. Uh, it's kind of like a Black Hawk Down scenario. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Netero is also having second thoughts, hoping to move quickly so his heart isn't swayed. Uh, Megan has heart in all caps, and I wonder if that's about his shirt, but I'm not sure. Uh, Netero begins his movements. <laughs> Megan has a note that says, Joe, fill in what this alludes to from a religious slash cultural perspective, please. <laughs> and the answer would just be literally the Guanyin Bodhisattva. Um, but also like possibly the idea of Pure Land Buddhism. Anyways, the 100 type Guanyin Bodhisattva, the many armed gold projection whose limbs ironically look like bug limbs. When Netero moves his hands downward, the gold figure does the same crushing Meruem. Yubi and Poof catch up with each other and chat. Yubi has evolved, capable of having an intelligent and chill conversation. Poof is freaked out a little bit by Yupi and Pito's new vibes, but Yupi is more resolved to aiding the king than ever. But Yupi, a little fearful, too. Mm. Uh, the king is more injured than we've ever seen, except for that one time that, you know, he hurt himself. Mildly scratched up, but did not immediately attack and instead sits to chat. Netero moves again and claps Meruem with his third hand. Netero jumps back and the king sits his ass back down. Netero offers to tell the king. <laughs> okay, have you guys seen the poster where they take the poster for like your name and then just edit Netero and Merom into it? No, <laughs> that's brilliant. It's it's so good. Yeah, if that wasn't already done, I would be like, that needs to be our episode image. Yeah, you know, like really, Netero is just trying to stop a meteor from crashing into the king. Uh. So the king is more injured than we've ever seen, mildly scratched up, but he did not immediately attack and said, since the chat, Netero moves down and clap. Oh, sorry, I erased this part. Anyways, Netero offers to tell the king his real name if he fights him. Meruem, who doesn't know his own name, only goes by Olsama, aka the king, is interested in this game. The real battle between Netero and the king has begun. Ooh. Ooh. Uh, yeah, I was actually going to go through, and, you know, th- those were Megan's notes, but I have some of my own. I guess, like, what are some things that stood out from the episode that either Megan talked about and you want to add to, or that you kind of noticed and we didn't talk about yet? Uh, I think one thing, um, I think it's the the king's new philosophy on his perception of humankind and, like, what who deserves to live. Because he, it's almost like, what's the word for it? It's like a triconian compassionate point of view where you can he wants to protect the weak but only what he deems to be um deserving aka they have to be exceptional one way or another i'm assuming which is not 
actually it's still very uh darwinesque it's like the survival of the fittest but not just physicality wise but in other aspects yeah it's sort of interesting um you see this a lot in depictions of like characters that are fascist in fiction where it's just like hey once we've eliminated all the undesirables i want a completely equitable world Mm-hmm. Um, have you guys watched uh, the entirety of Trigon? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like this is Knives' mo. He's like, yeah, I want to oh. kill all humans, but once we're there, I have this like idyllic, peace-loving ideology. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez, it's kind of yeah. it's it just obviously it contradicts the statement of equality because equality is only deserving for people who live up to it or who they deem would be fit for equality versus equality truly in basic definition means like everyone is given the same fair chance whatever regardless of who they are but Mm -hmm. yeah and i think it's interesting because the way he phrases it he mentions not a society free from want he mentions society free from quote-unquote unjust want aka like only those who you know he has determined are like worth or of value are people who are worth giving things as opposed to those who can eat it so it's in a certain way it's anti-darwinist because it's like actually saying like hey i want to completely upend the survival of the fittest i just want it to be the survival of those who i think are interesting which is you know therefore for human beings it would be the same effect but for him it's very different right right it's very like at the end of the day it's like it's kind of narcissistic because it's like who he thinks is best, you know. <laughs> like, but he is. I mean, he talked about like you know his um why he was born and whatnot. So and he's like supposed to rule and whatnot. So I guess it makes sense. It's genetic in terms of having this superiority complex and whatnot. Right. And I think it's interesting because it's his reasoning is really not far off. But I think probably what the human organizations and governments are thinking basically they're seeing like upend like this is determining the survival or the death of one species or another for various reasons um but i think the way he pointed out how human society works in the way that inequality how it exists doesn't make any sense like he made a good point like it why one why some humans are starving while the other ones have are thriving in luxury in excess luxury like it doesn't make sense to him objectively he also makes another point that like i think he's saying like that the human campaign against the chimerians is genocidal and that like inherently his viewpoint like i'll keep some humans who are worth it around is actually a lot more humane than the human argument of we will eliminate all chimerians that, that's true that's very true because maybe that's why he it's like justification i guess in many ways for what he's doing um and i guess in a way it's also like in a twisted sense his character growth because <laughs> for sure i think this is Kamuki. yeah this is so much more humane than he started out like before he just wanted humans as a feeding source And now, while some of that would still be the case, like he has moved a lot farther along a humanistic growth than human society did for thousands of years. Like basically the Khmer ants are human society on like tremendous acceleration. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so I think the central conflict of this comes down to whether you believe the Khmer ants would be able to be as good or better than human beings fast enough for them to have not eliminated human beings and humanity. And that's where the dividing line about like whether this is right or like what this means is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. it's possible they could surpass human beings, but like the, the show goes to like question whether that is truly possible or if that's a pipe dream and like whether it's for us to decide that. Right. Yeah. That is really an interesting point. And then we can kind of see with how, like, you know, the different Chimera ants and their motivations and how they become their own once they start, you know, splitting up and everything. Like, inherently, in many ways, they are like their former human counterparts in terms of, like, ambitions and greed and whatnot. But there are some that, you know, may 
have a different adapt to different mentality we don't know so yeah and i definitely think there's a diversity to the the viewpoints of the chimera ants uh Mm -hmm. another speaking of viewpoint i do think it's interesting that one of the reasons netero rejects the offer out of hand while mentioning that he's like worried about being swayed is he basically says he in his position invested with the collective will of the human race to survive like he is not in a position to allow this sort of like bargaining yeah yeah it's kind of like at the end of the day um while he like netero is starting to see like realize that the chimera ants are like fully sentient beings with like motivations not unlike humans is survival for between one and the other and he has netero has to side with the humans because you know he has to choose a side so yeah i i also think when you consider that miram he is the king of the chimera and he is the head while netero yeah he's like at the head of the hunter society but he's still basically an underling over the overall human governance like he he doesn't have the luxury of self-doubt because he doesn't have that power to because he does, he isn't the one calling the shots versus Miriam is the one who collectively will decide what the ants will do for the most part. Of course, there's like individual ones that are breaking away one way or another. But overall, the ants follow Miriam and what he's what he thinks. Yeah, and I think you definitely see the sort of themes of individuality versus collectivism here where Netero is the strongest, most standout individual of all human beings, but he is working at the behest of the collective human being. And that's not necessarily a good thing, but he is literally being told what to do by the combined force of different world elected governments. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Meruem, while he is an individual, is seen as like the true purpose of the collective of like all ant kind. And so it's interesting seeing like the very different ideas of individuality and collectivism coming from completely different directions. I'm trying to think. Um, I did like the uh, with Poof and Pito and just mm-hmm. like the tension um, between them trying to communicate without actually like communicating verbally. So not giving giving just the right information um to hopefully direct like what they need to do without setting off gone <laughs> yeah did you did you like the fucking smeagol slash golem ass like way they showed like uh P- poof's understanding of things internally versus externally <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it was interesting in that sense i liked the fact that the thing is Gone is so single-handedly focused on, like, one thing that I don't think they needed to have as much, like, been that careful with their their wording. But maybe that was my, yeah, like, perception. I mean, I guess we'll never know. It's like, at the end, to me, it's like, Gone really has less beef with the king and more beef with pito so yeah absolutely so i don't think he would have cared but obviously (laughs) they don't know that but um (laughs) so but um yeah i was thinking like when i was watching it you know like it would be so convenient if you know the khmer ants thought of had their own language outside of just whatever the standardized language was in hunter hunter because then i mean obviously Gone would still been kind of suspicious, but they wouldn't have to be like communicating in such a crazy way. Um, I do think it's interesting that they're such early born ants that mm-hmm. you would think they would still have telepathy. Mm-hmm. But I wonder if them not having telepathy, one is there's definitely like, hey, it makes the story mechanically easier to tell because then you're going to have this like weird conversation shit going on. But also, I wonder if it's supposed to be like to make them more individual, even though they see themselves as extensions of the king. I think so, because like, I mean, it. I think that way because they are like the I forgot the term that they use, but they're like the super soldiers. What what was the term used for them? The three of them. Oh, um, uh, the uh, royal guards. Yeah, the royal guards. Like, even though they are in this like 
Empire position, they still technically have the same, they still could develop the same autonomy as, like, the rest of the Khmer ants. And I think maybe from, like, I guess an evolution standpoint, maybe that's why they didn't have telepathy, because, like, um, because they're so advanced and, like, has such both high intelligence and, like, genetics compared to the other Khmer ants. Maybe telepathy was seen as like a less like advanced trait for them to have. I don't know. I'm just I definitely to... sorry. Mm-hmm. Mind hive. They wouldn't have mind hive or whatever. So. Hive mind, yeah. I agree hive with mind. you. I, I do think that while humans tend to think of telepathy as like, oh, this is an evolved trait, I think in this story it functions as this is a base trait because it means mm-hmm. we actually share a collective mind and that individuation and like the higher forms of life would have less telepathy. Yeah. Um, I, I think we came to similar conclusions. Um, so I do think it's interesting talking about the idea of Netero being swayed because I think in a certain way, Netero is like sort of the perfect target for this sort of rhetoric because this is a man who kills thousands of people annually by playing a game of survival of the fittest on his terms. <laughs> I'm serious. So like, I feel like if anyone were to be like, you know what? this whippersnapper's got a good point. I don't know why I made a Master Roshi, but uh, it'd be something like that. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point because, you know, it's like the, the like, you know, the the stake on lives, I guess, differs depending on the circumstances, right? Um, the hunters and, like, all the hunter trials and tests, they... I th- I'm sure he reasons like they know they're going into it knowing they could potentially die versus yeah. very squid this. games. Yeah. But I mean, is it real? You still have control of their lives. Many of these people have to become hunters in order to survive in the world. So it's not like they truly have the free will to like not participate. So yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. And like, I do think that like, the moderating it it is both like horrifying and probably in some ways good that the state apparatus is like, no, 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 you got to kill them. Like, and that they're over top of uh, someone like Netero, because I I think Netero is a very complicated, very morally gray figure because he's clearly here for the good of humanity. But like, what does that mean in a world where the only way to guarantee that is to like commit genocide against an entire other species? who are kind of like, we could just keep you in zoos. It'd be okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the fact that humanity did not consider that option, I think it's something to show that, I think it's one of those things, like when you're the stronger, the, like whether you agree with it or not, the strongest tend to have the luxury of mercy while the weakers need to do everything, weaker people need to do whatever they can to survive. Yeah, I, I really can't wait till you guys get to the manga because there's actually more along these same lines that you wouldn't expect. Also, even though I know one of you has finished the series, um, you will not have gotten a whiff of what I'm talking about in the manga yet. Oh. Yeah. Um, but anyways, uh, one thing I thought was interesting was when they had uh, Yuppie and Poof sort of meet up and Poof was struck by how much Yuppie had grown. I, I love that. Um, but the phrase he said was, I guess everyone's got their reasons, which I really like the idea of like he can just sort of dismiss differences that he previously would have been aggravated by as just like, you know what? Everyone kind of comes from things from a different perspective and poof just being like, you grew up this much in like, how long has this invasion been? It's been like 10 minutes. What do you, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. I think out of everyone, a poof seems like he has stayed more or less the same versus Pito and Yupi. I think he was the most developed already. Yeah. And now he's seeing these other two just like rocket. I won't say necessarily past him, but at least towards his level. Yeah. And it's pretty fascinating. For sure. For sure. Um, I think, I guess the one thing where uh, Miram's just utter, um, he's so perplexed at the fact that Neto keeps on trying to fight. He's just like, why? What's the point? <laughs> yeah, the announcer says something like, Netero had done little more than a child from Meruem's perspective. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, I, 
it's like not funny, but it's definitely it's like I feel I kind of feel bad for Netero at the same time. It's like it is like it is kind of like it's such a power move. I know it's like <laughs> maybe Miram un- is intentionally doing it. It's such like a power move, you know, and like whenever you see a battle and like the one person is like literally just like acting like NDD, what what's up? While the other person is literally putting their all into it. So, um, yeah, so it is very interesting. <laughs> um, I don't know. I think, obviously, I watched the other episodes, but I am curious to see what will trigger Merrimum to actually take this seriously. So, we'll see. I mean, it's the it's definitely the... Uh, <laughs> it's definitely the promise of watching Kimi no... <laughs> Wait, wait, is it Kimi no Nawa, which is uh, your name? Oh, yeah. I think Kimi no Wa. <laughs> oh, Kimi no Wa. So yeah. just, we'll, gotta, we'll have to watch that <laughs> to see I the think, end of the plot. Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing is, is that Merom is taking this 100% seriously. He just wants to do something different than from what Nutter wants to That's do. That's true. He's basically <laughs> like, I showed up to a debate tournament and you want to fight me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, he says something to the effect of, like, can't you see that words are all will exchange here? <laughs> Big just, nerd energy. They just, yeah, maybe Nutero just needs to switch this to debate instead, like, Lincoln-Douglas debate, because it's, like, philosophy-based. <laughs> I was in debate for a year, so. Lol. Um, so I think it's interesting, because Nutero rejoins uh, that by saying, if it were that simple, I wouldn't have to do this. And I actually think that's really interesting because they kind of talk about sort of understanding each other. And this is something I really like in literature and in the world generally, because people often have this assumption that if people could just understand each other, all conflict would cease. And that's just like not true because material reality will still cause there to be winners and losers given like people's needs and wants. And I'm not therefore saying like, don't give peace a chance more like just like, Hey, sometimes peace is resultant from physical conditions, regardless of people's like humanity. And like, I think this is one of those cases where Netero is analyzing it as such like that. This is irreconcilable. Like one side or the other will have to like eliminate the other based on the wants of the two of them and the incompatible spot they both have in the food chain of earth. Right. That, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cause it's, you know, um, like you kind of said with like the facts how it is the reality of it um understanding and stuff it's just there to really get game perspective but perspective is only it's not going to resolve issues it usually kind of doesn't usually when you gain perspective <laughs> on something it is then kind of used to either feel your point or used to like for you to then cave into the other person's point. So. Or, or to, to find a good resolution. But I just think in yeah. this case, there's not a good compromise without either side giving up ideologies that both of them hold as like the chauvinist mm-hmm. center point of the universe. Yeah. Right. Like there's no, there's no compromise right now. Like I, neither party has compromise in their minds. Um, even Miram's idea of compromise would be like a losing situation for humans. So they wouldn't even consider it. And I'm going to put it out there. Uh, I'm not going to explain this further because it'd be a spoiler, but I honestly think the conflict between these two, one of the ways of looking at it is the conflict between Japan and the U S during world war two. And not just them, those are stand-ins for like a broader context of like colonial versus anti-colonial history and sort of like movements that spring up in response to it. And that's not the only, I definitely think there's many layers to it. That's just one of them. Um, But if you look at it from that angle, this is fascinating. But we will get to that at a later date once it is not a major spoiler to say which is what side. Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, and I won't elaborate further because there's a lot of spoilers there. <laughs> Especially, you know, when that zero shows up. It's crazy. Um, so one one last thing about this episode. Uh, Meruem basically says of the whole situation that Netero provides of, like, you know, not wanting to say, sign, like, tell him his name unless whatever. Um, 
Merwin basically says he'll be playing without a rook and a bishop, to which uh, Netero says, fine, then I'll checkmate you shortly. Or I forget who says which. But it I don't know enough about chess theory to know if this is like something that Togashi looked up about if someone is playing without either rooks or bishops, whether you cannot possibly win or something like that in chess theory, if people are both playing a perfect game. But it's possible he didn't think of it that deeply, but I do. It does make me wonder. Yeah, I'm not sure. I have I know nothing about chess. <laughs> and no worries. Anyways, the episode ends with Netero leaping into the air and Hyori Itai starts playing. <laughs> uh, so I'll just talk a little bit about the manga real quick. So in this one, the depiction showing Poof from two different angles is not in the manga. Uh, I've included a photo of Netero's pose that like looks very similar to the uh, Guanyin Bodhisattva slash Kyakushiki Kanon, uh, where he's basically, he looks like an old school Hindu statue or old school Buddhist statue. Uh, I've also included another image where the Hyakushiki slash Bodhisattva, uh, Guanyin Bodhisattva is doing like the first hand. And the manga art here is gorgeous. Uh, And I really think the anime is missing out on the style here because the anime's style is not nearly as, they can't just change to other styles while the manga can. And I know Mm -hmm. that's definitely for production reasons uh, because you'd have to just get in a whole different crew. But it's kind of sad because like this is some sick shit. It's really amazing, like, the amount of detail, the use of perspective. And, like, I mean, they could have used perspective in this way, not going to lie. Because they had, like, the free shot right here, especially with, like, the um, Bodhisattva or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it, it's like they could have done, like, you know, more of a scratchy line art style. Well, maybe using not any cell shading and like roughing it up similar to like i don't know I'm, this is just like they could have did a little something but yeah it's difficult to switch on a dime though that's true um so one thing that is in, interesting in this image that i don't know if it's true in the anime it might be but the reason i say i don't know is it's harder to tell in a non-still shot but look at the tiara that uh guanyin is wearing it is another deity whose <laughs> hands are clasped in another like prayer. <laughs> That's such a cool detail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't notice it until I was rereading this. It's awesome. Oh wow. That the art in these two panels is amazing. Yeah, <laughs> another way that I think to interpret this, and we'll definitely get into this in a later research piece, I think that uh, we'll talk more about it later because it will become more relevant later. But I definitely think this is supposed to like have echoes in Buddhist and Hindu cosmology, like comparing, you know, Netero to a Buddhist like figure and Meruem to someone like Indra, who is the king of the Vedic Hindu gods, not like the modern Hindu gods, like the ancient Hindu gods who was in both Buddhism and modern Hinduism is like, oh, you're a minor god now, but he was the king of the gods. He was he was basically Zeus back in the day, but was later seen as like a primitive god. Uh, and I wonder if images that kind of draw parallels to that are on purpose, but given the influence of Vedic Hinduism on Japanese Buddhism, uh, it would not surprise me. Anyways, I now have a line here for rate those deaths, but I don't think anyone died i don't think so okay well then you know let's take this moment to thank our compatriots and benefactors but before doing so let me find the patrons actually i got the list so i can hell yeah all right we like to thank tim mia hanaro arthur valtteri mickey alex and lucas Thank you very much. Uh, with your guys' contributions, it makes it a lot easier for us to run the show and, you know, focus on uh, making quality content instead of wondering where the money's come from, coming yeah. from. Thank you. Video Death Loop is a show where we watch a short clip on loop until one or both of us can't take it anymore. Each week, one of us picks out a video the other does not know about to their dismay. Video game cutscenes, TV show openings, music videos, and occasional horse videos are just some of the clips we've ran and we're five seasons in. Check us out every Friday. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. 
For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. Welcome back. And we are going to now cover episode 123, Centipede and Memory, or in Japanese, Mukade to Omoide. And it was originally released in Japan on April 2nd, 2014. The equivalent manga chapters are 295 and 296, which were released in Japan on February 8th, 2010. All right. So we start off with the episode with poor Ikaldo still crying over about not being able to kill off Bolster. Bolster. Yeah, Bolster. Not Bloster. Um, anyways, um, he, thus he completely misses seeing the bunny girl, Biscoff, and the... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, this cop cookies. <laughs> and y'all, the, y'all flying recently? <laughs> the bug and maiden um, sneak out in a truck. So, um, Welfing um, corners Ikalgo with um, Welfin. <laughs> um, corners Ikalgo with his missile backpack thing, and Ikalgo recognizes the danger his friends are in if he talks. So, Ikago goes all suicide by cop and shoots oh. first, which coincidentally is Welfin's weakness to his power, which requires questions and answers, but the enemy can't shoot first. Um, I guess we can discuss more about it later to get more clarification. Anyway, yeah, um, yeah so he... Um, he so it hits Ikago, but... At first, um, Ikago thinks he sustains no damage, but then his head starts to, like, grow grow and get all, like, bulgy, kind of like when you're bald and you have, like, roids and, like, (laughs) you have all these head veins. It's like, imagine that. Anyway, but um, all of a sudden, all these little gross black men centipedes starts growing in his poor head. And they grow by feeding, um, they grow by feeding defi- in defiance. Okay, let on, me, on defiance, on yeah. defiance. So, um, yeah, so they these centipedes grow, um, by feeding on someone's defiance. So, Ikalgo locks and loads a bullet, and the centipedes continue to grow because you know, defiance, um, all caps, yeah. So Often he's like super afraid, and Ikago looks like a balloon more than usual. <laughs> and um, Ikago isn't aiming to kill though; he is just trying to stop Wolfen from harming his friends. So he's like shooting at him in the arm and in the leg. Um, yeah, it looks like the centipedes are about to burst out from his head because all of a sudden you see like little creepy crawly legs just pop out from the skin and it's very gross and they're wriggling around and yeah um but Ikago still thinks it's will be easy to pull the trigger um because he knows it's only his life on the line and he doesn't care so um, Wolfen um, is really desperate and he begs Ikago to let him go. Um, he's like, he wasn't like prepared to be facing against someone who has no regard for his own life. So, um, yeah, and so he doesn't, but he, Wolfen can't release um, Missile Man. Um, his then power because he doesn't know how to and um, like he tries to fake being unconscious to kind of um, get out of it but Ikago um, clocks it and aims his gun immediately <laughs> at Wolfen again which wakes him up from <laughs> his fake um, slumber so Wolfen admits to never 
having thought about getting rid of his ability once he's used it. Um, it's a reflection of his personality. Ikago wants to know about Wolfen's like pers- like memories before becoming a Chimera ant. And then Wolfen go like amidst to remembering his um, death in the NGL. So um, when the snake, that one snake Chimera ant attacked the NGL soldiers in the cave, one of the soldiers was apparently Wolfen. Um, he apparently remembers his, almost his entire human life, including like his little brother saving him for being strangled by his own dad. Um, is but this how you guys remember it? Cause I, I, this sounds not like how I remember. He claims that the little brother wasn't by blood. It was, but it was someone he cared so, so the thing will happen he was being strangled by his dad while his assumed stepmother was watching and the only person intervened was the little stepbrother yeah and so um you then i think right and you can correct me if I'm wrong the little brother ended up being um jiro Right? Or it, Jira just reminded him of the little brother. Okay, this is what I'm confused about, because I thought it was literally Gyro, and that's why he followed him into his criminal yeah, empire. Yeah, it was Gyro. So, okay, yeah, because yeah. Megan's note makes it sound like it was just a guy who, it was his brother looked like Gyro. I think it, like, literally was Gyro. It was Gyro. So, um, yeah, anyways. So, yeah, so basically, that's how Wolfen became an NGL soldier, and it was another nod to gyro which we haven't like heard about in a while so i guess like that was i found that really interesting anyways um wolfman continues to be really honest and because of his honesty the black centipedes disappear and you kind of see them evaporating away from um ikago's head um wolfman wants to see gyro again Saying that's all he cares about, and that, um, yeah, and that he actually helped um, the three um, people we mentioned earlier: um, Hina, Bis, not Biscoff, it's, <laughs> it's Bizef, yeah, Bizef making the, um, the one Chimera ant um, escape with the treasure. Oh, Reina. Reina, and so he also. Um, tells Ikago the truth about where Palm is at and that she was captured by the guards. So, yeah, the truth set him free. You know, good for him. <laughs> Anyways, um, so then we cut to, like, this one room at the end of the hallway and you see this, like, cocoon and out comes number one, a.k.a. Palm, breaking free from the cocoon and she has Certain ant features, which includes um, fish scales on her arm and this very, very big and very shiny purple gem on her forehead. And yeah, that's it. Yeah, so just to clarify, his brother is definitely Gyro. I just looked it up. It is it is literally Gyro. Not not like brother, not his like stepbrother or friend is Gyro. Mm-hmm. Um, which is interesting given the very different ideas the manga has for gyro than the anime where in the manga it's like you'll see him again he's a very big part of this story eventually (laughs) (laughs) yeah i I think also one thing i don't know if it was mentioned but he talked he referred to gyro he said to kako like gyro or you would know him as the king um and it's a little bit ambiguous. Is it like the king as in Gyro is the king of the NGL or are they referring to like the Chimerian King Merum? So like, this is a thing that in the manga is not confusing at all, but in the anime, they really fuck up in the anime. They're like, hey, may, maybe like there's a lot of anime only fans who think that he is like literally Gyro was reincarnated as the king. The manga is like, no, two separate people. Gyro was so willful in his like desire for power that he was able to keep his human mind entirely, never forget who he is. And now he's just an incredibly strong chimera ant who has gone somewhere and we won't see him for hundreds of chapters. Oh, wait. Yeah. So he's actually a chimera ant? He is a chimera ant. Well, they ha- 
they've basically shown that he was reborn and they're like, yes, but he retained all of his memories and is himself. Oh. Okay. I also figured it wouldn't make sense for Marum to be had the memories of a human. Even though he has like the physicality one, but as like the king, it just feels like they would want it. I think it wouldn't make sense to be based off like a human being if he's like what's seen as like the pure ultimate Khmer ant. I don't know. I think he's probably based off a little of everything mm-hmm. rather than like just being a pure ant either. But I think in such a way that he could not have any one individual human's memories. He would have to be like basically the collective of all nature distilled into one thing. Yeah, yeah that makes more sense. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, I think I found it so interesting they would bring it up again. Like, I don't remember this part from my first watch. So I was like, oh, my God, it's very surprised that they were referring to like NGO and Gyro. Um, and I guess as annoying as I found Wolfen, I'm glad they kind of gave more context to his past life and gave him character growth, which, you know, um, you kind of loved and hate it at the same time. It's <laughs> so terrible for so long, <laughs> but that's what this whole arc, this whole arc is about, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah, no, so it, it kind of gives reasons for why he's so cynical because he says uh, about him and Gyro, he's like, we used to argue over who had the worst luck. Mm-hmm. With him, I could laugh about uh, the bad old days. We were both empty inside, so we didn't have anything to hide. Where is he now? I wish I could see him again. That's all I want, to see him. I don't care about ants or people or money. Aww. And like, so I think the idea is that he had lost the only other person who had such a as bad of a life as him who he had befriended because of it and like who had saved him from his abusive father and like that was the reason he was willing to follow this guy into death um and i think it's interesting because like his powers are designed they're incredibly powerful if and only if the other person is sort of as selfish as welfin is but the moment they're selfless they're like not that powerful and so it reflects like an incredible cynicism about the world and the way that he was able to release it was literally by resolving his cynicism and believing in something like good, even if it is someone like Gyro, who for all we know might be a terrible guy, but at least cared about him. Yeah, that's that's crazy. Um, I don't think this ever comes up in the anime, but like apparently his canonical name was like in hu- his human life was Zykahal. Like Z A I Q A H A L, so like Zaykhalhal or something like that. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe uh, it was maybe it was like Arabic or something. I don't know. Yeah, I think uh, kind of switching gears to Okago, it was very interesting and compelling to see his. Um, his own little character arc within the episode going from someone who was so uh, broken up by the fact that he felt like he couldn't do, he couldn't kill the enemy. Thus he failed his friends to having the resolve to basically die in order to save his friends. Like it showed like I can't kill, but I'm willing to die in order to um, protect the ones that I care about in the strength that he was able to show, like he was able to withstand excruciating pain um, and still basically do what he thought was weak by not killing the enemy, but able to find ways to circumstance what he perceived as a weakness in order to do what, to protect you know i don't know mm-hmm. yeah. how to word it <laughs> no the the line he gives the exact line is it's so easy to pull the trigger when the only price is my own life yeah oh man <laughs> oh that hurts so much um but it's like it really does show um where how far he's come as a character and like his motivation um and i think it also forced um, Wolfen to grow as well to really realize what what was he about you know like seeing that so I think it was really definitely like su- such a high tense 
situation. And I really truly thought someone was going to die. Um, obviously, like, the Chimera Ant arc is all about um, reversing expectations in a lot of these fights and situations. So it was really cool. Um, and I think, I hope I'm not spoiling it, because how, if I remember correctly, they already showed Ikalgo's past memories, right? Um, um, I think they talked about his memories as as a as a uh, octopus, uh, right. but I I don't think they talked about other stuff. Because he's primarily his his main past memories is just of an octopus, right? So it's kind of like which are very intelligent creatures. I think we yeah. Talked. So it is kind of it's cool to see how that formed him because I feel like I I do think a lot of the old other chimera ants their personalities are shaped and their motivations are shaped from by human experience. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, he goes having his own because of friendship. So. <laughs> it's such a shonen thing. And it, <laughs> I think out of, it's like the most shonen thing I've ever seen. <laughs> so. For sure. It definitely is. I think there's also something interesting. I've heard arguments from like a couple biologists that like, if, octopi ever learned to actually raise and teach and care for their young they would be more advanced than us pretty fast and yeah like basically that they have more raw potential than us but that it's wasted because they don't have like culture and teaching um and so i wonder how much of this is just like hey you know octopi are intelligent and now you're seeing him fostered in a way that like octopi could not have actually been wow Maybe. Like and that's not even provable. It's just like something that people have speculated about. Yeah. Because octopi like don't care for their young at all. You never know. We'll see in like a hundred years. What yeah. will change? <laughs> new new Last of Us idea. It's octopi, baby. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. What did you guys think of? I guess like Palm. You know that was kind of like the last thing we saw. Um. But. I'm, I don't know. It was pretty crazy. I thought she was done for. (laughs) I suspected that she wouldn't have survived in the way that she was. So, aka, say human. But I wasn't expecting her to become a chimera ant. But maybe she's, they saw the worst. She was a powerful men user. So (laughs) she couldn't be just food (laughs) yeah so i forget if this is shown in the anime or only the manga but the first time she shows up she has a dead mermaid carcass she carries around like a dehydrated dead mermaid carcass she carries around with her to use to amplify her powers and like so i wonder how much of her current oh and that that dead mermaid is carrying a crystal ball so i wonder how much of her current appearance crystal ball on her forehead and mermaid scales on her arms is based on that like you know corpse she had with her yeah i think that's a manga thing i don't recall that at all in the anime yeah i think it would stick out you'd be like i think i'd remember a dehydrated mermaid (laughs) (laughs) is it kind of based off the the evidence of the first mermaid that they found was like a monkey tied to a a fish I actually don't know what you're talking about. Please elaborate. Oh, let me. So there, I forgot who found it exactly, but there is evidence of a mermaid in who, maybe it's legit, maybe it's not, but basically it was like a micro tiny thing where it had a human-esque shaped body or primate shaped upper body and then a fish tail at the end. So people suspected like, is it, someone tied a monkey skeleton the top half to a fish and like they claimed it was a mermaid um interesting most of the most of the stuff i've ever heard about explanations for mermaids focused on uh, manatees like focused on people just misinterpreting seeing manatees yeah i don't know maybe something of ripley's believe it or not (laughs) that i remember (laughs) oh my god even even the hunter hunter wiki when i search like palm there is mention of the mermaid crystal ball but it only mentions it after her transformation and doesn't elaborate why they why she would have a mermaid crystal ball Mm. 
Because it is a weird fucking detail. It is. The Fiji mermaid is the object composed of a torso and head of a juvenile monkey sewn on the back of back half of a fish. Nice. So it was fake. Yeah, it was fake. <laughs> <laughs> wow, yeah, this looks... I'm seeing it. I don't... You know, I was going to say, I don't know how anyone thought this was real. Then I remembered, like, the amount of stuff that people thought were real back in the day that were, like, just like, hey, we found a dinosaur, but it was, like, put together with the wrong pieces. (laughs) (laughs) I found it really interesting, like, um, with Palm. And I was unsure about the mermaid aspect, but what you kind of just mentioned, Joe, I definitely clarified it. Um, Definitely a glow up. And this supports my idea about why are all the female career ants so human looking and so pretty. <laughs> Wait, to be fair, Palm was hot in her human form when she took care of herself. That is true. So I guess they decided to keep that. So Yeah, I think they're like, yes, being part of a chimera ant is you have impeccable hygiene and no split ends. <laughs> it's all about self-care, okay? <laughs> That's why we put you in this cocoon, self-care. <laughs> Oh, geez. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's kind of it for me for these episodes, because while I like the second one, I don't think there's as much to say as the first one. No, I think it's more of like, in a sense, a character driven episode versus a plot driven episode. I think it's only near the very end when they tell where Palm's location is. That's the only thing that's going to really lead to like the next part of the story but yeah so i'll talk a little bit about manga stuff real quick mm-hmm. so you know how they have that like weird part of letting bzef and hina and reina in through the door like how welfin did that mm-hmm. not at all in the manga i think they just wrote that in to explain how they got somewhere mm, that makes sense okay. um Meanwhile, I have a shot here of Ikalgo with the centipedes in his head, pulling, like, you know, holding the gun up to Welfin. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, it looks even worse than the manga. I oh, yeah, it looks yeah. so much more painful. Oh, the blood. I guess that's one thing. They don't show too much in anime in general, like blood trickling. Like, obviously, like when you're a character gets slashed or some stuff, blood everywhere. But, like... Yeah, the, like the, oh, the blood coming out from each leg. Ooh. Yeah, at most if there is like a head wound, it's usually the the one that's like a like an inch wide on your forehead, and that's just that's it. What I think a call goes is definitely very uh, visceral, um, and would probably not meet the sensor <laughs> standards. <laughs> but he, wow, look at him! What a little badass! Even when he looks like his brain is inside out, he is standing strong. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I have a second shot of uh, Meruem um, holding a pose that he definitely doesn't do in the anime, where you basically see his arms superimposed on each other. Like, so it looks like he has six arms uh, and his tail is doing something similar. And the idea is like either he's moving very fast or like sort of that it's blurred. And I think it's definitely to extend the metaphor of him as like a demigod, basically. Like Mm -hmm. he is something like Indra, like a lower god. And like he's Mm -hmm. fighting, you know, something like a Buddha or Bodhisattva. And, uh, you know, this is like something prevalent in East East Asian mythology. Like if you look at Journey of the West, Sun Wukong, who is like a demigod, fights the Buddha and gets his ass kicked. But that's that doesn't necessarily spoil what's going to happen here. But it's like this is a traditional depiction of like demigods versus like Buddhas and sort of like the conflict there of like both ideology and like what they stand in for. That's interesting. That looks really cool. Um, And I like that nod to it. I also like the way they depict Netero there because it's like it's clear that while Netero is like fighting for the human race, like what does that mean? Because he's like clearly mm-hmm. overjoyed to be fighting this guy. <laughs> I think the saving human, the human race is a perk. It's a side perk. Yeah, it's, it's complicated. We'll definitely hash this out as we go through some episodes, because there's a lot to say on the matter and the motivations for both him, the Hunter Association and like the G5. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I was gonna say rate those deaths. No one died again. I guess maybe some centipedes. I rate it a good solid eight because centipedes are so fucking gross and I hate them so much. (laughs) I mean, I think it was a five. I don't know. They were just there. I didn't really recognize them as like a sentient creatures, more like a tool. So I didn't consider it to be dust. I'm going to give it a two out of 10 for similar reasons. Like, I think they were important in the scene, but, like, that they're not really characters in and of themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, I guess that's all I really got for this episode, um, unless uh, you two have anything more to say. Well, um, I guess it, I really liked both sides of these episodes. Obviously, like, um, for me, I like this episode in particular because I do like Ikalgo's character arc. Um, but, yeah, both are really intense um and yeah i know it's only gonna get even not worse but it's gonna my um my stress levels are only gonna get higher from here so (laughs) yeah i I definitely like these two as well i I think i like the first one more because i really like the dynamic of the king and netero but uh definitely good character growth for ikalgo and kind of showing I think it kind of goes along with the central point of like, there are greater values than just strength. And while his, while what he's showing here is a form of strength, it is another way to value him as someone who doesn't necessarily kill, but like has like tremendous resolve to help people. Mm -hmm. And so if you're applying the King's morality, this is someone who should be saved. I would hope so. (laughs) What's interesting is it just occurred to me, this is kind of the way that the Old Testament God looks at people. It's just like, yeah, you should not drown this guy if he's cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a very, what's the one really controversial Old Testament section, like Deuteronomy or whatever? Are you thinking of Job? Or, job. oh, uh, uh, not like Job. Job? Uh, job. Uh, no, no, no. So uh, Old Testament, uh, when you say controversial how do you mean like do you mean like everyone uses like bad interpretations of it because that's leviticus yeah it's probably leviticus you know like yeah you know ladies can't eat shellfish when they're this is leviticus (laughs) (laughs) yeah anyways (laughs) yeah um but uh yeah so anyways um thank you so much for listening to the spirit hunters please hit us up with questions requests or just to chat at our facebook or twitter at spirit hunter pod Heads up, check out our Patreon uh, at patreon.com slash beardhunterpod and join our public Discord where we'll be discussing the shit of Hunter, UU, and much more. Speaking of the Discord, if you want to support us another way, you can help us by giving us a written review on Apple Podcast. Each review, whether or not it gets a service to more people, it at least makes the people who show up more likely to actually listen to the show. Um, we received a, a not-so-charitable review recently. Uh, I definitely understand where they were coming from. I won't say... I won't say anything more than that, but I disagree with them and I think they should listen further. And I hope you're still here, listener. (laughs) But if you want to counteract them, uh, please step up to the plate. Anyways, finally, today's intro and outro uh, themes were made by Michael Shingo Crawford and Maddie M, respectively. Check them both out on YouTube. Also, big shout out to our editor, Tommy. Thanks to him, the rest of the crew can focus more on doing research and talking to Gashi. See you on the other side. Bye. Bye. Thanks, everyone.